This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Sin taxes are defined as a tax on an item or good that can have a negative effect on our persons, like cigarettes or most recently sugary drinks here in the city of Philadelphia. In many cases, these taxes are put forth to try and lower consumption and then improve our health. But in some cases, they end up having a bit of a negative effect on the lower income consumer because of the impact of the tax. Similarly, there are tax breaks on items of positive impact that the rich uh, are able to take advantage of, which lower-income in- families cannot. A recent study by Ben Lockwood, who's an assistant professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School, looked at the impact of both sides of the issue and if there may be a middle ground, as well as the impact of what is being called revenue recycling, where these taxes can be used to fund initiatives for lower-income co- consumers. Welcome. Great to have you in the studio. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, the idea behind this, obviously, as we said before we came on the air, it's a very important kind of topic here in Philadelphia, uh, obviously because of the people that reside inside the city. And now the fact that there is a a tax on sugary drinks, uh, it becomes something that is is very much in the in the interest of, of the people that live here in Philadelphia. Yeah, absolutely. It's been happening in Philadelphia. And we've also seen these implemented in, in Chicago and San Francisco, Berkeley, Oakland. So they're Boulder, Colorado. They're sort of a, a growing policy wave in favor of these kinds of policies. So, so it seems like a good time to be looking at it and trying to understand some of these uh, some of these implications. So, what was what was the basic uh, gist of the research that you found out, and, and really kind of the impact of this? Sure. So, the starting point for this was um, was kind of the the way that economists generally think about these these kinds of taxes uh, is that is that sort of short and simply, uh, sugary beverages have health consequences. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, the, the, these can give rise to things like diabetes or stroke or heart disease and, and this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and these are pretty big in magnitude. So, uh, so a couple of years ago, there was a, a study estimating that if people were to reduce their sugary beverage consumption by around 20%, then the health benefits that they would reap from, from doing that would, would be something, uh, something up, akin to giving them each a check between $100 or $300 uh, each year. So these are, are pretty big numbers. Yeah. Um, now, on the other hand, you know, from from again, from an economist perspective, it's not enough for for something to have negative consequences to justify taxing it. I mean, there you know things like uh, rock climbing have negative health consequences potentially. Right, uh, right. Uh, driving a car has lots of negative health. Walking consequences Walking across the, the street, risk. yeah, you right. could do as well. Right. So the key the key question um, from from an economic policy perspective is whether people are are taking into account these negative effects when they're making their consumption decisions, uh, and and one, and in particular, a reason for concern about sugary beverages is that often the negative health consequences come a long time after the, the date of consumption, right? right. So you, you get diabetes or, or heart disease much later in life. Uh, and and there's, a growing beha- there's a growing literature in behavioral economics that kind of studies the tendency for people to underweigh distant consequences and sort of overweigh the upfront uh, benefits or costs of doing something. Uh, this can explain everything from why we save less for retirement than we sort of should or we intend to, right. uh, or why we exercise less than, than we ought to. Uh, and so a reason for, for being interested in, in sugary soda, uh, in sugary beverages 
in particular is that it all those also have this kind of discrepancy between the upfront you know joy of of uh, sipping a soda and this delayed health consequence that happens far down the road. Right, and and obviously in a lot of uh, urban areas, uh, the problem becomes, I, I guess. Uh, Partly the fact that people financially may not have another option to be able to go to, like in terms of drinking a soda compared to drinking bottled water or, you know, I mean, and it becomes kind of a a, a life issue that that a lot of these people are not able to overcome. Right. So part of what you're bringing up here is is sort of the question of of what, what people can afford and sort of how these kinds of taxes hit poorer consumers versus richer consumers. So this kind of raises this other question, which was the the fundamental one of our research. So, so there's, there's, uh, you know, been this, these, these studies of how, how, uh, these kinds of taxes can have beneficial health consequences by by reducing consumption. Um, but there is also this concern about an unintended side effect of that kind of policy that it can tend to fall really heavily on poorer consumers. Right. So so we know that poorer consumers tend to consume uh, things like cigarettes and soda at higher frequencies than richer consumers do. Right. Um, survey evidence suggests that at the bottom of the income distribution, people drink about twice as much sugary soda as at the top of the income distribution. So it's a big difference. Um, and so our our work, the the, the theory in, in this paper, is really looking at this regressivity consequence of these mm-hmm. kinds of taxes, uh, and and trying to kind of get a handle on them. How do they? Wh- how do we weigh those consequences against the the potential health benefits from imposing imposing these kinds of taxes? Right. So, our, uh, in your mind, in your estimation, then in putting a lot of this information together. Uh, are are things like the the soda tax here in Philadelphia and Berkeley and San Francisco and other locations, are they, are they do they end up being a good thing for the consumer in general? So so this is like the million dollar question, yeah. right? What uh what it, what is the overall impact and and if we should have a soda tax in particular, how big should it be? Right. Um. So so Philly's soda tax is one and a half cents per ounce. Uh. Uh. uh I believe Boulder's is is two cents per ounce. Most of the others have been one cent per ounce. Um, but there there is this question as cities going forward try to try to weigh these policies, sort of what the magnitude should be and whether we should have this this kind of tax at all. Um, so really, the key thing that we that that we explore in our paper is that uh, what matters for these regressivity costs is how much people actually respond to the tax mm-hmm. uh, when when these taxes are imposed. So. Um, so there's often a sort of initial intuition that these taxes are must be really bad for poor consumers because right. when you impose them and poor consumers are drinking more soda, then they have to pay more out of pocket. Right. And that's exactly right if people don't respond to the tax at all, if they don't reduce their, their consumption, then right. of course uh, poor people end up paying more. On the other hand, if people end up reducing their consumption a lot in response to the tax, then things get a lot, a lot trickier uh, and, and a lot more interesting. Um, in, in a sense, because the people who get the greatest health benefits from that reduction are the people who were consuming the most sure. soda to begin with, yeah. which, again, tends to be poor poor consumers. So so if people are responding a lot to the tax, then these kinds of regressivity costs are actually a lot smaller. In fact, some of the health benefits can be really concentrated on poor consumers, which is something that the government is really interested in. Um, so, so the kind of key question to answer to answer the, the question you raised, how should should these taxes exist and how, how big should they be? The key question is how much people actually reduce consumption in right. response to the tax. Do they sort of keep consuming the same amount and just pay more or do they actually reduce how much they're consuming? But to a degree, is it, I mean, this is, especially if you're going off of what what's going on here in Philadelphia, where yeah. the tax is still relatively new, uh, understanding what the actual impact is, that that's... 
you know, are you able to gleam enough from, say, what has happened in Berkeley and, and what was happening here in the short term here in Philadelphia to, to make a, uh, a statement that says, yes, absolutely, there's no question that the, the, the economic benefits and the health benefits are there for people to stay away from, from sugary drinks? And are they doing it? Again, so so this is uh, this is an insightful question that sort of cuts to the heart of the issue. In in many cases, we still need more evidence to yeah. know uh, to know the, the the optimal size of these taxes. So right. there's some initial evidence, not so much from the new taxes that were passed this last year because those are pretty recent. There's yeah. some initial evidence from the tax in that was imposed in Mexico and the one that was imposed in right. Berkeley a couple years ago right. that does suggest people reduce consumption in response to these taxes. But uh, but the estimates of how much they reduce uh, their their consumption are really wide. So so economists talk about that that responsiveness in terms of, of elasticity. If you impose a 10% tax, say, how, by what percentage do people reduce their consumption? Right. And so far, the estimates are anywhere from they reduce their consumption by 1.5% to they reduce their consumption by 25%. So it's yeah. a huge range. If you take kind of the middling estimates of those and you think uh, you think that sort of a 10 percent or so reduction is is sort of where where a lot of economists at this stage think uh, think think the the value probably lies, um, then our our sort of initial estimates are that some positive tax, maybe even a little larger than the ones that have already been imposed, is oh, probably really? optimal. Really? Um, and uh, but but again, that we'll sort of know more going forward when we see the effects of of you know these bigger cities uh, so in the, the next few years. So these ta- the taxes that were put in place, and, and obviously again, it's it's still early. They they haven't gone overboard or they haven't underdone it either. You know, they, they've, they've at least gotten it at least in the ballpark so that if there is an increase of this down the road, it may be a half of a cent per ounce or whatever it may be. In, the cities have done a pretty good job for the most part. Yeah. So, again, it's I, I, I don't want to go on record saying yeah. like it should be exactly three point two five cents per ounce because yeah. uh, because because a lot of this is still we're still waiting to see the evidence come in. Um, but for kind of middling estimates of the, of of these uh these parameters that we have from from the the economic research so far, um, my kind of guess is that somewhere in the range of a few uh, of you know three to four cents per ounce rather than the say two cents per ounce that we're seeing now would right. would be kind of in the in the ballpark. So so yeah, I, I would say cities sort of uh, sort of luckily or have 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 been in the range of, of reasonable taxes so far, given the, the hazy nature of the estimates that we have. The other piece to this, which uh, I wanted to bring up, is the fact that uh, in Philadelphia, and I'm assuming in other cities as well, the money from these taxes, and Philadelphia, it's been, been well noted here, uh, of what Mayor Kenny would like to do with it, is to help improve pre-K education as, as a big piece to that. Uh, that is uh, part of your uh, research as well, is the common good or the, the, the good that is potentially done by these taxes that goes back to the community, which is discussed but maybe not fully understood about the impact that, that these taxes may have. Right. So one of the key questions is whether uh, whether it's sort of helpful to try to regre- to to sort of offset the regressivity costs of these kinds of taxes by right. targeting the revenues back toward toward poorer communities or, or poorer consumers. Um, whether whether that's effective or not ends up being a pretty technical theor- theoretical question that we yeah. get into a, a fair amount in in the paper. Um, the the upshot of that is that if the reason that poor consumers are drinking more soda than richer consumers is just kind of a difference in in preferences right. um, then uh, then then in fact it's not all that helpful to try to to try to target those those benefits back toward um, 
back, back toward the the, the community consumers. Yeah, and um, it, you know there might be other other arguments for why for why it's really beneficial to to support pre-k and that sort of thing but if that's the case then we should be doing it through income taxes or whatever regardless we shouldn't necessarily just tie it to the existence of a soda tax we're joined here in studio by ben lockwood who's assistant professor of business economics and public policy here at the wharton school uh the work that uh, he has done on the so-called sin taxes uh things like on uh, cigarettes and and sugary drinks uh, your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I guess cigarettes is one that obviously has been discussed for many, many years about the impact of uh, of having higher prices and higher taxes on cigarettes to try and take away some of the impact, uh, you know, leading to cancer and obviously other diseases as well. Uh, the fact that cigarettes have seen higher costs that that has slowed down some people i mean we've seen a lower number of people uh using uh, uh cigarettes uh but it hasn't slowed it down totally so i guess it, part of this has to deal with the people that are actually consuming these products and and the links that they have to it and and the attraction that they have to them correct yeah i think that's right and one of the one of the other questions about soda is the extent to which it's uh, uh, soda consumption is addictive in the same way that that cigarette consumption is yeah. so we we know from from other research that uh that people are much more responsive to cigarette taxes to the to sort of the decision to purchase cigarettes before they start smoking or sort of right when they're starting yeah. rather than after after they've been smoking for many many years then if the price goes up they'll they'll uh, they'll generally just pay the higher pay the higher uh, higher cost for them um, for soda the question is whether people who have who are high soda consumers whether they continue to to consume soda at the same rates like like uh, like cigarette smokers or whether they actually reduce and switch to switch to other beverages or or reduce consumption overall even if they've even if they've been consuming soda for a long time right. yeah. not that not that it, it's directly a part of the research that you've done but obviously part of the problem that that some of these people have is the the companies themselves that are bringing these products forward and the impact that that they have through the marketing and 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 all of the contact that these companies have with people on a daily basis which makes it you know to a degree it's a, it's an uphill battle for some of these people if you want to try and step away from soda if you want to step away from cigarettes it's a much harder prospect to do that because of the marketing that some of these companies bring forward yeah, so one of the other uh, kind of policy is idea policy ideas that we look at a little bit in this paper, um, but but uh, don't don't delve into too much. And I think there's actually more interesting work to be done here. Is um, is other kinds of non-tax policies like like some of the advertising uh, uh, bans or or you know the the pictures of of you know. Uh, uh, black and lungs on cigarette packages yeah. for instance these yeah. kinds of policies that aren't exactly taxes but are intended to to reduce consumption of of cigarettes in that case and there's been some discussion of similar kinds of policies for soda right um, and that th- those kinds of policies too can make more sense when you ha- when you have these goods that are consumed more by poorer consumers because they can help dissuade people from consuming mm-hmm. this stuff without actually taking money out of their pockets right you just uh, the idea is that less marketing will cause poorer consumers to to drink less soda right. without without necessarily having to pay more for the soda they are drinking uh, as a result. Is there a little bit of a bias in this process in general? Because when you're talking about 
more people of lower incomes being affected by sodas and cig- cigarette tax compared to people of higher incomes who are, have the ability to put in, you know, the, 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 the proper windows at their homes and be able to save on their energy costs and, and the proper types of refrigerator, you know, the energy savings that they get on the other end. I mean, it feels like to a degree uh, that there is a little bit of a bias in there that the benefits for having money are obviously there compared to the people in the lower incomes where it's a little bit of a negative. Yeah, I think that's right. So, so just like you mentioned with the um, with with the kinds of subsidies for energy efficient appliances and the like, you can actually kind of uh, formally reframe everything we've said about sodas in in that context and think think there too about the the unintended regressivity costs of those kinds of policies. Often the the benefits are accruing precisely to to folks in the population who have sort of higher incomes that aren't necessarily who you're trying to trying to help out the most. Um, and so you can do a similar a similar kind of exercise where where you say well this this doesn't this doesn't necessarily have the redistributive benefits that we would otherwise hope for from a tax but it does have this corrective effect of getting people to consume more energy efficient stuff yeah. uh, just like the soda taxes discourage people from consuming unhealthy stuff um, and that benefit has to be kind of weighed against the the corrective the, the corrective benefit has to be weighed against the the regressivity cost what going back to the, the to the soda for issue uh, and what really has been the impact if you've been able to to gleam on it especially here in a city like Philadelphia which obviously for those people that are listening to us around the country uh, this was a, a, a very hotly contested topic here in the city uh, you know, a couple of years ago about whether or not the city was actually going to to go forward with this. And, you know, just being recently implemented, it caught a lot of people off guard when they actually, and again, this is for people that are listening to us around the country, there actually was a line item for the tax on your receipt. So that, you know, it wasn't that it was just baked into the cost of 20 ounce soda, now $2.35. It was soda, $1.95, tax, $1.30, you know, 35 cents. You know that that was a that was an important piece to this, right? So that's actually pretty interesting. Um, what again? It's 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 too early to have much formal economic analysis yeah. out of this. So we'll we'll see as sort of going forward what the overall effects on on consumption and soda purchases actually are. But one of the interesting questions going into this was to what extent this this soda tax, which is actually imposed on the distributors who yeah. sort of supply sodas to grocery stores, to what extent grocery stores would then pass that higher cost on to consumers in the form of, of higher soda prices. Uh, and one of the interesting things we've seen so far is at least initially, like as as, as you're saying, uh, it does look like, like stores are really trying to make a, a, a salient connection and say, this is how much the cost yeah. of your soda has gone up because of this tax. Yeah. Um, now that's pretty interesting. On the one hand, uh, on the one hand, sometimes people are dismayed to see taxes being passed through to consumers. They'd sort of like to like yeah. to see those taxes being borne by, by, by the firm or, or by corporations. Um, but on the other hand, if the goal of a tax like this is actually to, uh, to discourage consumption of something that's unhealthy, then in a way, people will only reduce their consumption if they actually see that yeah. tax and, and feel it. So, uh, so unlike in, you know, in, in some of those other tax cases, in this case, having that tax actually passed, for, passed through to the consumer and, and being kind of front and center on the receipt might be uh, consistent with the, with the apparent goals of the policy. I, I guess what's interesting is the fact that, that some of these stores here in Philadelphia actually did that line item compared to, say, cigarettes, which obviously have seen higher and higher costs over the years, but they haven't had that. You know, they right. haven't li- had that line on saying, well, actually, you know, you're paying five dollars for the pack of cigarettes, but you're actually paying another dollar and a half because of the tax that is on there as well. 
it, it could be a deterrent. It, it absolutely could be a, a very important deterrent in this process. Yeah, it certainly could be. Uh, and, and I think it'll be interesting to see whether those line items persist going forward or whether that was sort of a temporary uh, a move by by the grocers to, to try to try to sort of explain why we had this this one time uh, incre- cost increase. Yeah. Um, but but if that if that stays there and, and the, the tax ends up being, you know, uh, fully passed on to consumers, um, you know, on, on into the future, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if that actually helps with these with these benefits. Maybe this is the kind of thing that we should have been doing with cigarettes yeah. all along, sort of really emphasizing how, uh, how how much the cost is increasing because of these taxes. How, mu- how much interest and in terms of doing this work is there from the medical community? Because obviously this is a topic that is going to draw the attention of the medical community over the next you know, 25, 30 years as the data becomes more and more specific as to, as to the impact. And obviously, as more and more cities think about, you know, put, bringing these taxes forward and the potential impact that it has on their lower income people that are obviously for, for many cities here in Philadelphia, they are a very important part of the community and the economy here in the city. Right, absolutely. So, so I think the medical research community has a big part to play in this. Um, uh, in in particular, as I as I've said, although this is mostly a theory paper, it identifies the key things that uh, that the key kind of parameters or estimates that will govern what that optimal tax is. And a lot yeah. of that research can can beneficially come from the medical community. So things like how much how much more do, does medical care cost when people uh, consume more sugar versus less? Yeah. And how much do people seem to be taking those costs into account when they're making their their consumption decisions? Um, those are exactly the kinds of things that people are, are studying right now. Right. Uh, and, and we and as I said, we have some initial estimates for, but but I think that this is kind of an exciting time, both for economists and and medical researchers, because because we will have better estimates of this uh, shortly. Part of this is also the fact that we and uh, we've seen this growth in in an area called behavioral economics, right? And this is you know the seemingly this is a growing area right now because we want to understand the economic impact of of our behaviors right now, whether they are positive or negative. Yeah, exactly. So so this is a really exciting area and kind of vibrant area of economic research, um, where we where we kind of relax the conventional economic model that that people are are fully rational and fully take everything into account when they're making their decision when they're making every single decision they make all day. Um, this area of behavioral economics sort of allows for what I think many of us feel that there are a lot of things going on. A lot of things are kind of confusing. You're not always paying yeah. perfect attention to everything, including, including you know, what, what the eventual health costs are of everything that you, that you might engage in. Um, and, and when that, when that's the case, there are actually kind of beneficial things that the government can do to, uh, to, to help, help guide behavior or explain to people what those costs are and so yeah. forth. Having done this paper, then what, what is the next kind of logical step in this process, starting to, you know, put these theories together about what, Potentially, is the impact on the lo- on the lower incomes in Philadelphia and city in Chicago and San Francisco compared to where we will be going in the next five to ten years? Sure. So I think a lot of it comes back to these empirical estimates of trying to see what the effect of these taxes actually are. Yeah. Um, so so one example of this is uh, is in in Philadelphia, if it turns out that people basically don't change their soda consumption because they instead just drive across the Ben Franklin Bridge and buy their soda in Jersey, <laughs> Jersey yeah. then you don't actually get any of the health benefits that I was just talking about. Yeah. Right? People still consume the same amount. They get diabetes at the same rate. The only thing that happens is they waste more gas driving across the bridge. Right. right. So yeah. that would be kind of a downside of this of 
of this kind of policy. Now, there are things you could potentially do to correct that, like like cooperating with other nearby localities and sort of jointly setting taxes, uh, in, you know, so that there aren't these big differences across across local borders. Yeah. Um, but uh, but on the other hand, if it turns out that people just sort of buy at their at their local store and this has a big Im- impact, then then we'll find out that this actually is a, a useful policy to be implemented at the city level. Um, another uh, another question along these lines is how much people substitute to other kinds of other kinds of drinks or how oh, sure, their consumption yeah. Uh, yeah. consumption behavior changes. So one way in which Philly's tax was sort of distinctive is that it also extended to cover diet diet soda right. beverages yeah. in a way that some some of these other policies haven't. Um, now, from from the economic health perspective, uh, that's that's yeah. that does that's not obviously a great move in, yeah. in terms of policy design because yeah. part of the goal, I mean, maybe there are some sort of unintended health consequences of diet soda too, but the estimates now suggest that those no. are minuscule relative to the negative consequences of of sugar consumption. Um, and so, what you'd like to do is to have people switch away from these sugary things toward other things, maybe toward diet soda if that's really really what they want. Um, and uh, and and so so you know having having a better sense of whether people just c- keep consuming uh, their sugary soda because diet also went up and so there's no point in switching or whether they instead switch to bottled water or something yeah. that'll that'll have an impact on whether other cities then think about imposing taxes on sort of across the board on diet beverages too or whether it's really important to isolate and target exactly the the sugary beverages that are causing the health effects the other piece to this and it's more from a policy perspective is the fact that you know if this does have a significant uh, impact, whether that is, you know, people are still drinking them and that tax money goes to the, the programs that Mayor Kenny has talked about here in Philadelphia or people slow down, there's a benefit one way or the other. And then at that point, when you have a more data to understand it, then you can tell truly what the what the benefit is, how it lays out, and where are the next steps going forward. Right, exactly. So there will be that that benefit in terms of policy, and similarly, there will be sort of a benefit for for other uh, other cities in understanding how to kind of make the case for these policies to their right. to their constituents. So I think one of one of the interesting things that we saw with uh, with with Kenny's proposal is it was really tightly tied to these spending programs on on pre. In a yep. way that some of the the previous uh, Philadelphia soda tax proposals were not yep. the ones that actually ended up failing. So, so this is something that that other cities I think have sort of taken note of. That sometimes yep. in making the case for these kinds of things, it's really helpful to show how that how those funds would would be spent and and how they can kind of be retargeted to the to the affected classes. Great to have you here. Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks very much, Ben Lockwood from the uh, Wharton School. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.